Specialty Story, session number 182. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians. And this week is no different. I am talking to Dr. Beverly Robin, a respiratory therapist turned neonatologist. Great story for you to hear about how Dr. Robin became interested in neonatology through her respiratory therapy days being in the NICU. Dr. Robin has now been out of training for 17 years and works in an academic center. We start the conversation by how Dr. Robin first became interested in neonatology. Well, my story is a, probably a little unusual. I actually was a respiratory therapist uh, before going to medical school, and I actually worked in newborn ICU um, as a respiratory therapist. So um, I had been in newborn ICU for quite a while, and I went back to medical school and actually initially had no no idea that I was going to go into neonatology. So I pretty much went 360, but I didn't know that was the plan when I first started medical school. Wow. So starting off as a as a respiratory therapist in, in RT, which I'm, I'm surprised that a lot more RTs, or a lot more pre-meds rather, don't go into RT for amazing clinical experience. What, what was that like for you to get that clinical experience? Oh, it was fabulous. I think, you know, it's, for me, it's made such a huge difference having worked as an RT and then going to medical school because not only all of what I've learned about respiratory therapy, the pathophysiology and, and just all of the things that are going to be a respiratory therapist, but then also having appreciation for what it's like to be on, quote unquote, the other side. And so as a physician, I'm acutely aware of what um, all the allied health professionals do. And so I think it's a huge advantage. Yeah, definitely. So talk about the the world of perinatology, neonatology. What exactly or who exactly are you treating as a neonatologist? Mm-hmm. So I always think that the term is a little bit misleading because perinatal is in the term of what we do. So we're considered neonatal, perinatal physicians, but in truth, we are neonatal physicians. So we are physicians who take care of babies in newborn intensive care. And when we tell people that, we always, they always make the assumption that they're all premature babies and they're all tiny, which really isn't the case. Um, a percentage of patients we take care of are premature, but there's certainly many patients who are full term who have a you know, variety of um, medical conditions, whether it's complex heart disease or various other congenital anomalies and those types of things. So really, even though we're called neonatal perinatal medicine physicians, we really focus on the neonatal side. The perinatal part, I guess you could say, is sort of when we do antenatal counseling and we're talking to families when they're about to have a a preterm baby delivered or baby delivered with a complex situation. We often work closely with a perinatologist, but that's that is not our area of medicine. As you were going through training, what what led you down that path to, to really love the, the babies? Because uh, w- kind of going back to the kind of myths and misconceptions of you're only dealing with with preemie babies, there's also this misconception like, oh, that's like it's all like very sick, uh, obviously very sick, but like 
the the worst of the worst of of kids and all oh, that must be so sad and then they never get any better what what led you down that path because that that again is a misconception around neonatology mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure sure definitely so for me it really is about two things enjoying the medicine immensely and then the other part is dealing with families because people will often say you know what's exactly sort of what you said oh this is so sad and how awful but there are a lot of sad things we deal with, and there's certainly a lot of success stories. But for me, a large part of what I do and what I really enjoy is walking with the families to this experience. So it's going to happen regardless of whether I'm there or not. Somebody else would take care of it if I weren't there. And so for me, it's really um, an honor and also a very big part of my work is to be with the families and walk through these experiences with them and help them through the process. So that was a huge draw for me. What kind of traits like personal qualities or traits do you think leads to someone being a good neonatologist Mm. so you certainly have to be able to work under pressure you have to be able to make decisions quickly certainly multitask that's huge and then on the other side certainly well not not the other side but i'd say along the lines of more sort of emotional interpersonal skills it's really important to be able to work in a team which I think a lot of areas of medicine, we do that, but it's, it's very pronounced in neonatology. So be able to work in a team and be able to lead a team and then certainly be able to show compassion and have um, insight and awareness and a high, what I'd say, emotional IQ. Because again, when you're dealing with parents whose baby's critically ill or whose baby's dying, you really need to walk with those parents and be present for them and available and able to um you know, to conduct some of those very difficult conversations. What does a typical day look like for you? Oh, <laughs> so um, we take turns being on clinical service. We all take turns being on call as well. So when, my, when, my, when I am on clinical service, typically what the day looks like is I would get to work um, usually by about 7.30 so that I have the opportunity to look at uh, the overnight events and the lab tests and so the various things that happened overnight with the patients. And if I have time, I'll examine patients. Otherwise, I will get sign-out at around 8 o'clock. It's really sign-out to each other. So at that time, I would get sign-out from the overnight uh, physician about new admissions, what happened with my patients, what the events were. And then I examine patients till around 8.30. At 8.30, we do a multidisciplinary huddle, which is really a big part of the day because we talk about, we meet all the physicians, meet the residents, the trainees, and then various representatives from different areas. So pharmacy, um, lactation, uh, the clerk, the cleaning people, everybody meets. So it's representative people from the team. We talk about the day, we talk about any hot spots, we talk about patients who are critically ill, we talk about perhaps what patients are going off the unit for procedures. And thereafter we start rounds and I, um, the different teams, but um, because I work in an academic institution, we always have trainees on our team. We usually start off with x-ray review. So we would look at um, the overnight events, the x-rays, do some teaching on how to read x-rays and um, look and see if the reports are back too and see if what we read you know, correlates with what the radiologist said. Then we go on rounds and we round, um, you know, go to patient to patient bedside, uh, again, with a large interdisciplinary team. So it's usually all the trainees, we have medical students, we often have respiratory therapy and nursing students. Um, and then also we have a pharmacist, we have nutritionist, and we have child and life. And we go to each patient's bedside. Um, if I haven't examined the baby already, I would examine the baby. 
the trainees would present the patient, we talk about them, uh, make a plan. And then if the family is present, then we would explain to the family to um, what it is um, that we're, we're talking about and what our plan is and sort of get input from them. And then after we've done with rounds, usually the trainees will go up to some kind of conference and that's when I still circle back, check in with the nurses, uh, still examine babies, follow up on some of the plans. And that a large portion of the afternoon is spent doing that, also doing some lectures. Sometimes we have some meetings, we do uh, meet for to review things like uh, perinatal M&M and we do uh, various other uh, meetings. We talk about patients. Um, some days we do radiology rounds, so we'll review x-rays with a radiologist. And then by the end of the day, which usually comes to around 4.30, is the time when I would give sign-up. And so then what we do is um, sign up the service. When I say service, it means the patients I'm responsible for to the oncoming physician so that they can take care of them overnight, um, usually from 4.30 p.m. till 8 a.m. And that's a, that's a pretty typical day. And, and of course, during the day too, I'm going to the delivery room uh, attending deliveries of high-risk patients, um, doing antenatal consults where I might talk with parents who are uh, have a baby who's going to be born either you know prematurely or with complex conditions, and then at times too I'll do consultations in the mother-baby unit and the pediatric ICU if they have newborns where they have questions. So that's pretty much the the makeup of my day. Busy, busy day. So. Ooh, yeah. For, for somebody listening to this and, and thinks, wow, that neonatology sounds like very interesting medicine to me, but I envision my life in an outpatient world. Is there mm -hmm. a world in where a neonatologist can practice in an outpatient setting? Not really, but what I would say is this, because obviously all our patients are hospitalized. But I really think there's an interesting area of medicine uh, for pediatric pediatricians who follow up patients who were in the newborn ICU. So while many general pediatricians will, there are some who find it daunting because, for example, we have a baby going home tomorrow who was a 25-week gestation baby. Um, so if you can imagine uh, 15 weeks early, he is going home with a gastrostomy tube and on oxygen. So there are many pediatricians who would feel that that's too daunting to take care of a patient like that. But certainly somebody with an interest in neonatology could um, have a private practice, an outpatient practice, caring for those kinds of patients post-NICU admission. Yeah, very interesting. For mm -hmm. for a student who loves working with their hands and wants to do procedures, is, is there a lot of opportunity for procedures in neonatology? Yes, there is. And I didn't really talk about that. I, I sort of think about it as part of my job, so it didn't even occur to me to, to say it. But yes, so the procedures we generally perform, um, obviously the delivery room, so we do a resuscitation of infants sometimes all the way to needing CPR, chest compressions. Uh, we do endotracheal intubation, so that's putting in a breathing tube. We do umbilical lines, so it's a very easy way of getting access in infants um, as we put lines directly into the umbilical cord after it's been cut. Uh, we also do uh, thoracentesis, which is um, removing air from the chest when there's a pneumothorax, so air between the lung and the chest wall. We also would, uh, for some of those patients, place a chest tube, so thoracostomy. Not often, but we do do pericardial synthesis where um, there's a, a child who has a pericardial effusion. And then there are a few other procedures. Sometimes we would do pick lines, uh, peripheral IVs. In a pinch, we would do intraosseous access, um, putting in a indwelling urinary catheter, um, those kinds of things. But those are the majority of the, the types of procedures. So, yes, it is a very hands-on um, profession. 
Nice. What does call look like for you? So generally call is, um, like I said, it starts for in my area at 4.30. Most places I've worked, it's around the same. It starts somewhere between 4 and 5 and usually goes till around 8 a.m. And court generally is taking care of the patients who are existing, putting out fires when there are some. Sometimes you have angry parents at night or you get consultations or we get patients transferred in from other institutions. I don't personally go on transport. We have nurse practitioners who will go on transport and bring those big sick babies to us. Um, so sometimes we have those. Then um, attending the delivery room, mainly for the high-risk patients. The trainees go to the what I'll call lower level deliveries, where they're just sort of routine deliveries or routine C-section. Um, so it's you know it's a smattering of what the day looks like, but it's a little different because you're taking care of patients you might not necessarily know as well. And then there's also a lot of teaching that goes on at night. And sometimes we actually have trainings at night purposely because there's different kinds of opportunities for them to learn and also because they're fewer trainings. So I might, have, for example, have, say, a nurse practitioner on with me, a student at night, or sometimes we have a sub-I who's a fourth-year medical student. So then there's more opportunity there to teach as well and um, to do learning. Very nice. What, in, in your mind, do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? It's a struggle, I would say. You know, when you choose a profession that requires you to spend a lot of hours and sleep at the hospital, it's a challenge. But the advantage for me, and I'm answering your question in a little bit of a roundabout way, but what I would say is the advantage for me is when I go home, I'm at home. I am still have a pager, but it's not anything I have to respond to. It's the pager I have from the day that perhaps I don't turn it off. But there's no um, responsibilities that I have outside of, you know, once I'm home. It's not like I'm doing any call from home or I have anything, any responsibilities. So certainly having time away from work is feasible. And I especially like that because I'm not getting called away when I'm out for dinner or if I want to have a glass of wine when I go for dinner, I certainly can. So I think it is doable. And again, it, it, it's nice because the time away is your time away. But I, I have to acknowledge that, you know, we do spend a lot of time in the hospital and there has to be a physician here 24-7. So, you know, it does require being on call at night and certainly some of the weekends too. Oh. What does the training path look like to become a neonatologist? So to become a neonatologist, one first has to go to uh, do a pediatrics residency, and that's typically three years. And then the training beyond that is a neonatal fellowship, which is an additional three years. So in the three years for fellowship, the, the focus is on not only clinical medicine, but it's also uh, research because fellows are required to um, generally to publish, but to produce some kind of work product that allows them to be eligible to sit for the, um, the board exam. So those three years really focus on sort of research um, and then a lot of hands-on uh, clinical experience. How competitive is neonatology as a fellowship? Um, it's fairly competitive. It's actually the largest of the subspecialties in pediatrics. I think our program, ours is a new program. We've had our program about two years. Um, and we made 99, and I bet you there are more than 100 programs now uh, in the country. Um, for the last couple of years, the match, uh, there's only been a few spots that have been left uh, open. So it is fairly competitive, I would say. Not like there are other fields that are much more so, um, but it certainly is competitive. For the osteopathic student who wants to go into neonatology, is there anything that they need to do to overcome any negative bias? 
You know, I think times have changed. I think the the negative bias towards DO physicians has certainly decreased and changed. And I'll give you an example. I have certainly have colleagues who are DO physicians. My current trainee is a DO physician. So I don't think it's it's really a non-issue. I, you know, it, it, I'll say in my mind it's a non-issue. And I certainly know that there are some large academic institutions that still frown upon it. But for the most part, I would say it really is no longer an issue. Yeah. For the maybe OBGYN, because they're the ones uh, interacting with the patients before you're interacting with the patients or the patient's parents, uh-huh. uh, what do you wish that they knew about your job as a neonatologist to help you do your job better, help take care of the patients better? Yeah. Um, the thing that really comes to mind most is that that we would have more collaboration prior to the baby being born because we certainly collaborate, so I don't mean to imply that we don't, but we communicate with them, we communicate with the parents, but then very often we don't know what each other has said. And so sometimes our approach to, and I'll use this in particular, if we've got a patient who's um, on the border of viability, meaning you know a, a week, a few days here or there, they might not survive or we might not resuscitate, it would be helpful, I think, for them to understand where we're coming from a little more and certainly ask to understand where they are and have those conversations with the family. So that the conversation of what I'm, you know, what I'm going to tell them about a premature infant is the same as what the perinatal medicine person will tell and that we collaboratively come to a decision with the family. Yeah. Are there uh, are there big areas of research potentially where there's some differences between what the OB world does and what the neonatology world does? No, I don't know if I would say research areas per se, but certainly the border of viability is, um, it's a very hot topic. And it varies really between institutions, between regions of the country. So I'm fortunate that I work in a place where we and the, our perinatal medicine uh, physicians, I think, feel similarly about the approach. But I can see where there could be a divide between what the perinatal people um, envision of, you know, what one would do with, a, say, a woman who presents at 22 weeks and what neonatologists present, uh, with, you know, what, they, what a neonatologist's perception is. So I think that's, that's a large area where there could be. But, um, but other than that, I don't think there's anything specific. Yeah. I usually ask this question a little bit later, but but since you mentioned kind of this um, viability line that seems like it's constantly in flux. Do you think mm-hmm. that's going to be one of the biggest areas of, of research or change in the neonatology specialty moving forward? Oh, absolutely. When, um, so when I think about it, I have an interesting perspective given that I started working in the NICU when I was 21. Um, so I've really, I've been in the NICU my entire working life. And to just see how the definition of viable you know, has changed. And certainly a lot of it precedes me. Um, but I know that a, an infant in one of Kennedy's um, children was born in the 60s. He was at 32 week gestation and I think something like 1500 grams. And then they didn't do anything because they couldn't resuscitate. He was too small. And then in the years I've been in the field, it used to be 25 weeks and now it's really down to 23. So yeah, I, I don't know how far we should push it, but I certainly think it's an area that's going to just keep um, evolving and growing and, and uh, always be an issue of discussion. Yeah. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into neonatology? Hmm. You know, that I knew you were going to ask me that, and it's a little bit hard to answer because I've spent my whole life in the newborn ICU. Um, 
I think what I would say, though, and it's not that I didn't know this, but I think it's something really important to think about, is to recognize, um, and it goes back to your question about life balance, work-life balance, is just to recognize the field is hospital-based and the amount of time that we do spend in the hospital. Um, I think that's something very important to consider. And I think if I hadn't spent so much time working as a respiratory therapist prior, I probably really wouldn't have had an idea of the time commitment. What do you like the most about being a neonatologist? That is such a hard question to answer because there's so many things, but I'll break it down the same way I, as I explained sort of about going into it. Um, I love the procedures. I love hands-on. I, I, for me, the sicker the patient, the more interesting and the more, more things I get to do. And, and I also love to teach while I'm doing that. And then I really love to be with the families. Uh, obviously, with a neonate, you don't, you know, you don't have a relationship the same way as you might with an older patient or an older patient in pediatrics. So the relationship really um, is fostered between you and the parent, or I'd say the significant, you know, the significant other or the caretaker, because sometimes parents aren't involved and there's somebody else who's involved. But that is is very meaningful to me, and in fact, I have families who've kept in touch with me over the years, and so I know I've made a big difference in their lives, and they certainly have in mind too, and so. I'd say really those are the, the two main things that I really love, but there's so many things about it that I enjoy. What do you like the least? Mm. This would go with, along with, I think, any any field. It doesn't matter what I would have gone into. Uh, the charting and the documentation and the administrative work. Uh, we spend a lot of time charting and creating notes and addending notes. And then I think this is something that nobody talks about when you're in training, but as a physician, you have to build. And so at the end of every day, I have to go through the patient's criteria of their status, their severity of illness, their weight, and then I have to bill accordingly. And if I could do away with that, that would be fabulous. <laughs> but of course we can't, right? Yes. Thank you, billing. It's all for billing. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. um, if you had to do it all over again, would you still be a neonatologist? Absolutely. Any last words of wisdom for the student listening to this potentially interested in neonatology? You know, I think the thing about neonatology or just the NICU, I think it scares a lot of people because it's very unknown. And, uh, you know, the, the times are changing a little. I, I know certainly when I was in training, there were a lot of nurses who were very protective and you know, wouldn't let you touch the babies. And I'd say some of that's changing. But certainly somebody who has a sense that they, they think it's a field that interests them, but it scares them. I think it'd be important to just spend some time in the newborn ICU just to see what it is and, and what happens. And um, I've had, you know, really good experience with a, a lot of students who've come through and a lot of residents who've come through who were really afraid and then get a sense of what it is and, and experience it. And we've had a lot of people go into the field and, and I'm certainly not pushing the field. But I think it really applies to any field. If you don't really know what it is and you don't really get into that environment, it can be hard to tell and it can be intimidating. All right. There you have it. Again, Dr. Beverly Robin, neonatologist after being a respiratory therapist. And I mentioned it during the show. I'm like, I don't know why more pre-meds don't do respiratory therapy. Very similar to EMT and medical assistant, CNA. You need some training behind your belt, obviously, to be a respiratory therapist, but some of you may enjoy that as a path to, to getting clinical experience. So go check out respiratory therapy and see potentially how long it may take you 
to get uh, to to become a new um, a respiratory therapist to get some of that experience. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so that you get these podcasts for free every week. Hope you have a great day, a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. 